On this brand new episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast, Amy Moran tells us what mentally strong people don't do. Welcome back, competitors, to the Compete Everyday Podcast. You are in for a treat today as I get to welcome to the show psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and international best-selling author, Amy Moran. Now, you may not be too familiar with her name, but I'm 100% betting that you've seen her list. The list of the 13 things mentally strong people do not do. It's a best-selling book. It's on bookshelves everywhere. The list has circulated all over social media. And Amy is investing some time with us today to talk a little bit about her journey. But more importantly, how can we become mentally stronger? How can we learn not to let little distractions derail us? How can we learn to be present? And and most importantly, from Amy's own journey, dealing with incredible hardship and challenges, how did she get up and keep going one day at a time? And most importantly, how can we invest in others? How can we help others become more mentally strong? I know that's a question I get for a lot of people because for some of you, you are surrounded by people that are not on the same growth track as you. They don't care about growing and getting better. They don't care about building their mental strength. And you look at them and you see, but if only you would, if only you would invest in this area of your life, I see your potential. I see what's in you. And sometimes that can create friction in our relationships. That can create struggles with us internally of how to best help them. And so Amy and I get into that discussion today. I'm excited for her to be here on the show. But first, if you have not yet, drop me an email at podcast at competeveryday.com with one takeaway you've took from today's podcast with Amy. I'm going to be doing a giveaway with one of her books. And so to be entered, you got to shoot me an email. You got to tell me something you learned from today's conversation. What impact did Amy's words have on you or what Did they spark inside the questions you started asking yourself, the journey you're starting down? So give me a takeaway you had from today's episode. Shoot me an email to podcast at competeveryday.com. If you do that, I will enter you into the giveaway for one of Amy's books. And now let's have some fun. Let's talk about what mentally strong people do and what they don't do with Amy Moran. Amy, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. A lot of people are probably quite familiar with your work, uh, whether they know you professionally or they've seen your list uh, floating around the internet or read one of your books. Um, I would love to kind of dive into a few topics that I know are near and dear to you in terms of mental health versus mental strength. Uh, talking about, you know, what are some of the things mentally strong people do uh, and the like, but would love for you just to kind of introduce yourself briefly to the audience uh, and then would love to dive into a little bit of your story. Sure. So I am a psychotherapist by trade and I am a psychology professor at Northeastern University. But these days, most of my time is spent talking, speaking, and writing about mental strength. And I, um, I'm a regular contributor to places like Forbes and Business Insider and very well and uh, and just end up mostly speaking to organizations and companies about mental strength, do a lot of traveling to talk about um, how to increase mental muscle, whether it be to corporate audiences or high school students. My 
main concern at the moment is helping people build as much mental strength as they can so that they can reach their greatest potential. Love that. Where, where did your passion for kind of diving into the conversation and studies around mental strength come from? So, you know, I started out as a therapist and I was trained in teaching people, how do you build on their strengths? So when somebody came into my office and said, this is what's going on in my life, I'd help them identify what they're doing well and tell them to keep doing more of the good things. Uh, but it's just fairly early on in my career, I figured out, well, sometimes it's not about what people do. It's more about what they don't do that makes them better. And, but my interest at that point was still in, I was just interested in psychology so that I could help people. And it wasn't until I went through a series of losses in my own life that my interest in mental strength really became much more personal. My mother passed away suddenly from a brain aneurysm about a year into my work as a therapist. And that's when I started studying the people that came into my therapy office with this new interest of thinking, okay, not only do I want to know how to make this, help this person become their best, but I also want to know, I want to learn from them. And I was just studying people to figure out why do some people go through hard times and they stay stuck, but other people would go through tough times and they grew from it. And I'm glad I started doing that because three years after my mother passed away, my 26 year old husband died of a heart attack. And obviously at 26, you're not supposed to have a heart attack and you're not supposed to be widowed at 26. And I really had to then figure out how do you, how do you be mentally strong when your heart is broken? How do I go through all of these really tough emotions and still feel like I can grow from them rather than be reduced by them? And so a few years after that, you know, I wrote this list of what mentally strong people don't do as a letter to myself, actually. It was on one of the darkest days of my life, and I found it helpful. I just thought, if I just don't do these certain things today, I'll be okay. I didn't want a list of 110 things I needed to do. I just wanted to know what not to do because I was overwhelmed with life. By then, my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and I just couldn't imagine going through one more tough thing. And... But I thought, okay, if this list is helpful to me, maybe it will help somebody else. So I published it online and uh, hoping it would resonate with a few people. And to my surprise, it was read by more than 50 million people and it changed the course of my life. That's how I ended up with a book deal and ended up where I am now. Um, to my great delight, other people find it helpful as well to say, just don't do these certain things. If you get rid of the things that drain you of mental strength, then you can your good habits become much more productive. And so since then, that's been my interest then is just teaching people, how do you give up these unhealthy habits that are holding you back and keeping you stuck? I love it. I love it. And, and your book is still widely in circulation. I actually uh, saw a copy in Target just the other day, uh, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. Uh, you also have the parents version and a version for women as well. Uh, and so I, I love that. I, I'm curious, just out of your own personal experience or words, everything you shared, I, I would imagine listeners are like, oh my gosh, like how did, how did she handle that? Like it, it seemed like one blow after another. And it, it's really easy for us in the, those instances to start to adopt almost a victim mindset that fate or, or life is out to get us uh, when dealing with these struggle after struggle after struggle. How did you continue to maintain the right, I guess, focus of, of growing and, and taking care of yourself through that constant adversity and deep adversity? You know, I, I knew from studying people that came into my therapy office that so often our tendency is to try to avoid pain. But that's what landed a lot of people in my office in the first place. They'd spent so much time trying to not feel uncomfortable. They didn't want to feel fear. They didn't want to feel anxiety. They didn't want to experience sadness. 
but their attempts to dodge all of that discomfort is backfired in the end. And so I knew that going through grief, our, my natural tendency was, what can I do to distract myself? How do I escape these uncomfortable emotions? But I also knew that that would make it so I never healed. You know, there's this myth that time heals everything. And I find that the people who believe that just get so frustrated. I'd have people that would come into my office and it might be five, 10, maybe even 20 years after they went through a hard time. And they'd say, when am I going to feel better? I've waited all this time. But that was the problem was that they'd waited and they hadn't done anything. And they'd really gone through this time sort of just white knuckling it and thinking, if I don't feel bad, then somehow I'm going to wake up someday and feel better. But sometimes you have to feel bad in order to feel better. Grief is a process by which we heal. So I knew in my own life, I had to go through sadness. I had to allow myself to be angry and I had to allow myself to, to feel really, really bad if I wanted to feel better someday. And luckily I had the head knowledge as a therapist, but of course I'm a human being. And so to knowing it and doing it are two completely separate things. So to go through it was, it was painful to say the least, but I knew that if I went through it, I just needed a list of what not to do. And for me, that was the most helpful thing was just as long as you don't do these certain things, you'll be okay. Because I'd see people that would come in my therapy office and despite the fact that they had 101 good habits, it just took one or two counterproductive bad habits so that all their hard work wasn't wasn't really getting them anywhere. They were sort of like a hamster stuck in a wheel and they weren't moving forward. And I wanted to know how do I work smarter and not just harder? How do I make sure that I can experience this pain? But I wanted to make sure that there was going to be light at the end of the tunnel. I, I love that. One of the things that you just shared right there and as well as uh, some of your work that I enjoy on Forbes is around needing kind of outside help. And, and one of the articles you'd published recently, I know on Forbes was around you still having a coach, you are a mental strength coach and you still hire and work with coaches. When you were going through some of your darkest periods, you would still talk to people and work with people. A lot of times when, when people have this stereotype that mentally strong people, mentally tough people, they don't need that outside coach, that outside voice because they're strong enough, they can handle it. But that's not really the truth. We all need that, that coach. And so kind of, if you don't mind sharing, what's been the benefits for you continuing after coming through a dark period to, to a much brighter period in life, still continuing to work with a coach and, and talk to someone for some of these challenges? I always talk to people. Um, and I think that, uh, I think the article you're referring to in particular is talking about my, my fitness coach that I have. Um, even though I could read online and I can study up on how to, how to lose weight or how to get bigger muscles, that sort of a thing. I wanted to work with somebody so that I could ask personal questions. Hey, I'm going through this right now. I'm struggling with this issue and to get advice and feedback. And I'm always recommending that people have uh, somebody to talk to, whether it's a therapist or you find a life coach who's really good because we need that objective opinion. Sometimes if a lot of people will say, well, I have plenty of friends or I'm doing just fine, but talking to someone isn't just about, uh, healing problems or it's not about dealing with specific issues sometimes it's just about having an objective person who can say you know i hear you saying this but then i see you doing this and it's not in line or you say that this is really important to you but then you go and you do these behaviors to have somebody in your life who can do that is super important and they hold us accountable and they help us become better and grow stronger and so even though i was a therapist i still need people in my life i mean i still have people that i talk to and and people that I depend on to point that out. And while our friends and family are well-meaning, 
sometimes you're just too close to us to be able to do that objectively. And also it, it can affect our relationship when somebody really close to us is trying to point out things that, that they're seeing. We don't always want to hear it. You don't want your mom to tell you something or maybe even your best friend. Sometimes we want them to, to be on our side. So when we say, gosh, I'm going through this, my boss is a jerk. We want our friends and family to say, yeah, you're right. You shouldn't have to deal with that. We don't want them to point out, well, by the way, you could be doing these things differently. So that's where a professional comes in, that it's really important, I think, for all of us to have a professional person who can help us see some of our weaknesses and understand the patterns that we get in. How, how long have you had, how long have you been practicing, just out of curiosity? So I started as a therapist in 2002. So I guess that would put me at a right around 18 years. Yeah. Have you seen, and I'm just curious as, as kind of the outside perspective, have you seen more open conversations in society about mental strength, about mental health, about mindset over the last 18 years? I feel like younger, when I was younger, it was kind of taboo for the most part. You didn't talk about it, certain stigmas. And now a lot of those conversations are becoming more, I guess, mainstream for the betterment, hopefully of all of us. Absolutely. I think uh, when I first started practicing, I was in rural Maine and the mentality there was often, you know, you had to be crazy to see a therapist or there's a, a lot of ideas about the stigma surrounding mental health or that you have to, if you were to talk to somebody, it means you have a serious problem. But now I think a lot of people, that mindset has changed and people have come to realize that successful people see therapists or people who are already doing well in life still want to talk to someone. And it doesn't mean that, they, that they're defective or that they have a problem. Sometimes it's just helpful to get to that next level. And I'm seeing a huge shift in that. And we're all talking now so much more about depression, about anxiety, about different mental health issues. We're seeing more celebrities and go-to people who are coming out and saying, actually, I struggle with this. And I think that that's so important for all of us to realize that none of us are immune to a mental health issue. And just like, you know, you see a dentist maybe to check on your teeth a couple times a year. Well, it would be really helpful if we had somebody to check in on our mind a couple times a year. You don't have to wait till there's a serious problem. You don't have to wait until you're in the depths of despair or you, your anxiety disorder is out of control. You could see somebody now and maybe prevent it. Maybe you could figure out what's going on. And I think one of the big things we're seeing lately is online therapy, which seems to be changing the traditional model. It used to be if you were going to use your health insurance and you were going to go see a therapist, you had to have a mental health diagnosis, which meant you had to be sick already. One of the good parts about online therapy is it's a lot less expensive. You can check in with somebody sort of whenever you want. You, although insurance sometimes doesn't pay for it, it's usually a lot more affordable to, to just pay out of pocket and have somebody that you can talk to whenever you need to. I love that you brought that up. One of the, it's funny, one of the best piece of advice that my best friend gave me uh, about five and a half years ago when I got married, because he had been married for a handful of years was he said, we go sit down with a counselor two to three times a year. He said, nothing's wrong. We're not, but he said, it, it's the need to go in and be proactive on certain things, to talk about certain challenges, to never obviously let them get to a bullet point, just like going to the dentist for a cleaning, like it's hundred percent okay. And so I loved hearing you reiterate that because I feel like too often we forget about that. We only want to go talk to somebody or sit down and have conversations when we've gotten to a bad point versus being proactive and, and building that, that relationship, building that mindset over the course of it so that we're prepared when those inevitable challenges hit. 
that's just it. I think if we start looking at it a little bit differently to recognize, oh, okay, if you, again, it's not embarrassing to go to the doctor for a physical, or it's not embarrassing to see the dentist to, to get your teeth checked on. So, and your mind is so important. Why wouldn't you go get it checked on once in a while? They just say, how's my thinking? Are there emotional things I can change? Can I develop new coping strategies? How do I get better? It's not just about healing yourself when you're, when you're really sick. So I love that your friend does that. I think if, if more couples did that, their divorce rate would probably be a lot less um, than it is now. Very much, very much. Uh, one of the last things I want to chat with you about is kind of we're recording right now. It's in mid-May. Most of the country is starting to open back up, which means a lot of people are going to be going back into their offices, sometimes to great cultures and coworkers they love, sometimes to a little more of a challenge uh, in terms of the culture or maybe some of the people they work with. I know one of your recent articles was around helping coworkers become mentally stronger. And really, I wanted to shift that conversation to helping people within our life, whether that's kind of direct family, friendships, helping them be mentally stronger, because I think sometimes there's friction in relationships. If one person's growing, if they're invested in kind of building that mindset, and the other maybe isn't, and that can kind of create conflict between the two parties. What are just some quick takeaways that, obviously, I want to encourage everybody to dive into the article more, but some quick takeaways that you always encourage people to start the conversation in investing in others' uh, mental strength? So I guess the first thing would be don't try to fix other people. <laughs> and you can definitely influence others, but you can't change them. And the biggest mistake I see is uh, people who want to fix somebody else or they become so invested in trying to force somebody else to change that they all of their attempts backfire, right? When we enable people, we lecture them. That doesn't usually go over very well. So the goal is to focus on what can I change? I can only control my own behavior. So if you end up in a lot of conflict with somebody, don't try to force them to stop yelling or don't try to tell them they need to communicate better. Work on your communication skills or figure out, okay, how can I respond differently to this situation? And sort of like a dance when you're with somebody and when you change the steps you're taking, often it forces the other person to change their steps, but you can't force them to do anything different. The only thing you can do is focus on you. And so, and it might be if you're going to talk to somebody about some concerns that you see, only say it once. Sometimes we lecture people, we have people in our lives and we know that they could be doing better. So we keep pointing it out and we come across like we're nagging or we do things that just aren't helpful. And after a while they tune us out. So point it out in a respectful, kind way. Hey, I'm concerned about this. I see that this is what's going on and then leave it alone. They heard you. It's up to them to decide to change. Don't keep bringing it up in a way to shame them or anger them or upset them, but just as a way to say, this is what I notice. If you need some help with that, here I am. And then just focus on your, your influence. You might share stories of this is what helped really helped me, not in a derogatory way of, so you should do it too, but more of a, of a way that you might inspire someone and to just share, gosh, when I was going through tough times, I did A, B, and C. And it might just be you share some of the coping strategies you've used or you share with somebody. When I was really struggling, I went to talk to someone and that was helpful. And that might give somebody the courage to go talk to someone if they know that you've had someone to talk to. And so often we just want to talk about our successes, but people hear us the most when we talk about our struggles. So it's okay to say, you know, I've been there. I've had so many struggles in my life. I made this mistake before and this is how I handled it. This is what I wish I would have done differently. Uh, and then share, these are the things I'm doing right now and this is the most helpful to me. Um, and just try to become more of an influencer and a positive inspiration in somebody's life rather than trying to force them to change. 
Oh, I love that. It's such obviously hits home with me and, and just being a stereotypical man, sometimes struggling with the idea that you want to fix things and help people and learning to bite your tongue and be patient, uh, but encouraging. Uh, so thank you for, for sharing that. Amy, last question I have for you. I know uh, it's a, you dive into it some in your book in terms of mentally strong people don't shy away from change. And I feel like right now, one of the biggest challenges for most people during COVID is this uncertainty and this unknown. Normal schedules, routines, things that we had planned two months, three months, we don't really know what to expect. And, and I know a lot of people just having some various conversations are kind of struggling with this new current normal of not really knowing what's ahead, especially if they're a planner. How have you been able to encourage people to just lean into change and maybe some of that uncertainty just a little bit better, uh, especially during this time? So, you know, one thing is to recognize that we're all in a place of uncertainty. Of course, we all want answers on when something's going to happen, when we're able to start doing certain things again, or what's going to happen in the future, but nobody has a crystal ball. And so to just keep that in perspective and for people to notice when they start thinking doom and gloom kind of thoughts to argue the opposite. And that's not to say that you want to be overly positive, but sometimes that helps you develop a more realistic perspective on things. So yes, maybe things are going to get worse. Maybe life is going to be horrible and awful, but there's also a chance things are going to get better. And if you just sort of argue with yourself, catch yourself when you start thinking about all the horrible things that could happen, kind of argue, well, here's some of the positive things that could happen. Just to remind yourself that there, there are a lot of possibilities and that your negative thoughts are just one potential outcome. And something good might happen too. Sometimes the truth is somewhere in the middle of, and it's not on either end of the spectrum. Maybe some good things will come out of it, maybe some bad things. But to just stop yourself from getting caught up in that downward spiral of assuming everything's going to be horrible and that things are going to come out worse. And to also just remind yourself, if you wouldn't say it to a friend, don't say it to yourself. Because so often we have such supportive and kind words for other people but we don't speak to ourselves that same way. So if you just say, well, if I had a friend who had this problem, what would I say? And how would I reply? And then how do I give myself that, those same kind words? And that can be really helpful too. So if you're thinking, I'm never going to make any money again, I'm going to be destitute, I'm going to be homeless. Well, what would you say to your friend who came to you? You'd probably have some supportive and encouraging words. So try to give yourself those exact same encouraging words and that can help you feel a lot better. I love that. I love that. And such a, a fitting into today's episode. Uh, for our listeners, stay tuned to the end because I want to give away one of the copies of Amy's book uh, to one of you that I know is looking to build your mental strength, learn what not to do. Amy, where can listeners follow along with your work? Obviously, stay tuned for the book you have coming out in the future, but follow the work that you put out and, and a lot of your content. My website is the best place, which is Amy Morin, LCSW, as in licensed clinical social worker.com. Awesome. And we will be linking to that in the show notes. Amy, thank you incredibly for making some time for us today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To get in touch with me or the show, email us at podcast at competeeveryday.com. To join our free Facebook community and get connected with other ambitious leaders working to win their work, their workouts, and their life, be sure to visit us at facebook.com slash groups slash compete every day. Until the next episode, keep competing every single day because your life is worth it.